Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. we're joined by Lee Chambers and he's an environmental psychologist, a well-being consultant and the founder of Essentialize Workplace Wellbeing. So a big warm welcome to Lee. Thanks for having me on today Shelley. Oh bless you, you are a man that's been through so much so thank you so much for reaching out to me. Please do share your story of positive changes. Yeah so I think if we start at the beginning that's always uh, helpful so I was brought up in Bolton in the north of the UK. Um, My mum and dad worked really hard, very, very hard working. Uh, We always had food, we always had shelter, and I had a relatively stable childhood. I was the first one in my family to go to university. So in so many ways, my parents really pushed me to do that because not only did they believe that I could do well, but they also felt in many ways I was able to set an example for my brothers and other people in our extended family that you know, if you push the boundaries and don't put any limits on yourself, you can succeed from an educational perspective at the very least. Um, so I went to university and initially found the freedom, the autonomy really powerful. Suddenly I, I, was, had, I had a lot of choice and a lot of decisions that I could make. And I felt really positive about that. Then, as quite often happens, uh, as a young male, you start to have a bit of a, bit of a challenge around navigating that adolescent to adult transition. And what I found is that I didn't feel like I was prepared. I didn't really have the emotional intelligence and self-awareness to dig deeper into, my, into myself and try to find out who I was authentically and express that. So then you kind of look to your own experience of your own father and the males in your life. And the truth is my, my dad had always worked hard. He hadn't really invested much in us and my brothers as, as a father, generally because he was working a lot. And then that kind of parlayed into him wanting to do his own thing when he wasn't working. So, you know, we didn't really have that example other than work hard and provide for your family. And at the same time, I looked out to society and being mixed race and I'm looking at other people who are like me and not really identify with that rapper or that footballer um, and it's just like yeah I don't really know I don't really know who I am I can't access it can't see uh, someone to model in society I don't really have any framework from my own you know male orientation from years gone by so what actually happened is I felt a bit lost in that feeling of being lost then started to spiral downwards into me feeling you know stuck and then feeling actually I'm going to try and avoid feeling like this so I started to isolate myself and I had some issues then with my studies I froze delivering a presentation in front of 300 students and that knocked my confidence and just made me feel oh, okay yeah I'm struggling I'm struggling here I don't know who I am I'm struggling to express it. I can't really dig deep enough. So I'm just going to avoid it and hope that it kind of works. And what actually led to me doing is I started to isolate myself more and more to the point where my parents then came and took me home. 
So that was, uh, that was, that was in many ways the first challenge in my life and the first time that I had really faced a big pothole yeah. and I kind of fallen in it and found that I didn't really know how to get back out. No. So I was taken home and what I actually did, it just gave me a bit of space to think and start to process it. I started to realise that this had got out of control because I tried to step back away from it hoping that it would suddenly become better yeah that kind of made me think that actually I'm gonna try and you know get to a point where I'm happy and able to be me then I actually need to step forward into it and start to become more self-aware and start to cultivate my emotional intelligence and start to find out who I am go on a bit of a journey it's kind of at that point thought I'm not gonna be able to sit here and think my way to who I am I'm gonna have to go out and do things and find out what I enjoy and that'll help me link into who I am so I went back to uni and threw myself back into it managed to graduate um and obviously that was that was a really proud feeling because I'd kind of been all the way to the bottom but then pulled myself back up again yeah I didn't think you was going to say you went back to uni that's amazing yeah so in so many ways I I then you know I'd graduated in intellectual business psychology and I was like what can I do so I started to obviously look a bit more into myself and thought, so there's two themes that really seem to resonate and have threaded through my life, the things that I enjoy, and that is working with statistics and helping people. So I was like, what can I do that combines those two? And I was like, I'm going to be a financial advisor so I can work with people's money and help them to achieve a high level of financial well-being and a better future. So I thought, that's a perfect combination of these two things that I really enjoy. So I managed to get on a national graduate scheme here in the UK. And that was, a, again, that was quite a proud moment. And I went in on my first day and really got my head down and decided I was going to try and make an impact, knowing that my professional qualifications were going to start in a few months. And again, I wanted to kind of get, be proactive and get to a good place in work and start to make a good impression. Uh, unfortunately, this was 2007 when I graduated. So I started my graduate job in September 2007. And about six months in, about March 2008, suddenly started to notice that the economic crash was biting yeah. where I was working. And people above me were suddenly packing the desks up and not coming back. Oh, and that just put me in a place of suddenly everything was a bit uncertain. I was yeah. pulled in by my line manager and told that they'd removed the funding for my qualification. So for me, that was, again, that was a bit of a, whoa. So I wasn't being paid a particular lot, not enough for me to self-fund the qualification at that particular moment in time. So it was, again, felt like I'd just fallen into a little bit of a hole. Yeah. Well, a week later, I was then made redundant from the job. So <laughs> that, that <laughs> little hole that little hole became a bigger hole and I went back home and had a real conundrum like what do I do going forward because in terms of working in finance at that point there were no jobs no (laughs) it was was an avenue that simply wasn't open to me so that really led me to again at first I was like it's not fair (laughs) (laughs) I've only just started I've worked really, really hard to make a good impression Lots of positive things have been said. And I've actually, you know, I've got good feedback. I've been appreciated. 
Um, but then it's just gone. Yeah. And it's, it's not for any fault of my own. It's not anything that I've done. It's all the external circumstances. So again, you know, you have those thoughts, not fair. Why me? <laughs> but then that kind of shifted. We started to realize again, okay, so don't avoid it, approach it. And I thought, well, the way I can approach this is I can fund my own qualifications. Then the external circumstances can't take them away if the ties change again. Yeah. And I thought to myself as well, if I'm going to build a career, then in a lot of ways, if I build a career through my own business, I can't be made redundant myself. That's brilliant. Unless, <laughs> unless the business fails. And then in many ways, it will be on me to then look at the reasons why and understand and process that. So I really grasped on that and signed myself up for a performance nutrition qualification. I decided to actually go back into work because I wanted to kind of expand my horizons and work in different industries. So I went working in local government and I set up a video game business. So that started from my parents' back bedroom, me retailing video games and that took off really quickly and it was up to six figures after the first year and I was like whoa oh wow this is this is is interesting because what it was doing (laughs) was giving me the finance and flexibility to keep training myself in different things and it was teaching me lots of different skills from a business perspective and those were kind of actionable things that I was learning so I was I was learning different parts of physiology so then moved after doing the nutrition qualification into anatomical qualifications, looking at conditioning training. And then I started doing some football coaching badges just because, again, I felt so many things I can do. I've got the finance to pay and train and learn. And I actually quite like learning now because it's a bit different than in an educational setting because I'm applying things. Um, And I kept working at local government and then moved into a different position, helping unemployed people get back into work so I'd initially help them find the direction they wanted to go into so do a bit of work around what they enjoyed what they felt, thought they might like to do in the future so I help them get some direction and then work with them to start to increase the confidence and help them communicate more with more clarity and effectiveness when it came to interviews and really sell themselves and express themselves and show who they are and why they would make a good employee for the company and I, Again, getting people from a place where they weren't particularly sure to getting a job where they actually wanted was a really, really fulfilling feeling. And that kind of then led me to to have a small time working in elite sport, which again was another interesting aspect, looking at the very height of performance, looking at the experimentation, the science, and rubbing shoulders with interesting people on a daily basis but also had me start to think about there's a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort spent here to get one particular person who's already 99% of the way there to get a tiny little bit closer. Because this time and effort, if it was spent on society in general, it probably would make a lot more impact. Yeah. So I kind of felt a bit like that at times there. And I kind of think that just, in many ways, it boils down to who I am. And then it was at that point where everything in life seemed rosy in so many ways. I was still running the business. I was doing a few hours in the sports world. I had just got married and my son was 18 months old. My wife was six months pregnant with our daughter. 
and we'd cruise around the Caribbean, we'd bought our first house. So from a societal perspective, everything looked settled and rosy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, over the course of a week, I suddenly became really unwell, and lost the ability to walk, and that put me on a completely different path. <laughs> it's just fascinating. I don't know if that's the right word to say when it's someone's life story, but you've been through like the mental health at university, which I'm sure loads of people will relate to you know, because university is kind of cool, but then we've never really prepared for it. Yeah. And then you had the redundancy, which is another sort of like loss and the loss of control and then your health. And you've just, I just love it. The learning, the teaching, the sharing, the money to be in a purpose, but then you still have this other curveball. You have this loss of health. So tell us what happened there. Yeah. So what basically happened is I just turned 29. So in a lot of ways, I was at that point where I was thinking, well, what, um, what silly and <laughs> what silly <laughs> thing should I do before I'm 30? Which part I should then, you know, being a father and my age beginning with a three start to appear sensible, at least, <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least to the outside world. Um, and I, I did, I'd kind of enjoyed my 29th birthday, spent some time with some good friends, and a week after, all of a sudden on a Friday, my wrist started to swell up and it locked in place. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I've banged it or maybe I've just used computer too much this week. I'll rest it over the weekend and it'll be fine. And then on the Sunday, I came back from a meal with some friends. And all of a sudden, in the car on the way back, my knee started to do the same thing. By the time we returned home, I couldn't, I couldn't move my knee properly. And then obviously at that point, I started to become a bit worried and think, oh, this ain't great. So I'm definitely going to the doctors, definitely going to the doctors on Monday and see what they say. So I hobbled to the doctors on Monday and they gave me some corticosteroids and said, those look pretty swollen. Um, take, take, you know, take a third dose of these and they should take the swelling off. Um, give it a few days. If it gets worse, let us know and we'll, we'll reassess. So I started taking the, this, uh, these steroids and started to think, ah, oh, these, these will fix it. I'll be fine by the end of the week. Uh, and then on Tuesday, my shoulder started to swell up. It started mm -hmm. to rise up towards my ear. And I was like, oh, no, this, this isn't great. It's really, really painful. <laughs> but being, again, being a young man, you're almost like, ah, oh, I'm a bit unbreakable. I'll be fine. It'll be okay. They'll give it... I'll, I'll be right. Give me, give me this medication. It'll go, it'll go away by the end of the week. So I wake up on Wednesday. My other knee starts swelling up. My mother-in-law comes around and takes one look at me and says, hospital, come on. <laughs> I like her. I like yeah. her. And she, she, just, she just dragged me off. And to be honest, I'd have probably, I was probably two hours off for an ambulance myself. <laughs> so it, it, was, it hit that point. Uh, and I was taken, taken into A&E. And then looked out by the consultant and sent straight through up to the ward. So, yeah, they started testing me, trying to work out what had happened. Turns out my immune system had started attacking the connective tissue in my joints, thinking it was effectively a foreign body. So it almost got unprogrammed, so to speak. It was attacking a specific type of tissue, thinking it didn't belong. So that had caused, obviously, massive swelling as my immune system had gone raw, not happy. Um, and just my knees were they were they were <laughs> they were all over the place. They were so swollen, but he pushed all my ligaments and all my tendons around and really, really painful. I was on tramadol and morphine just to kind of take the edge off. Yeah. Um and I was in shock at first in so many ways. That kind of 
it happened so quick. Yeah. I've gone from independent and mobile to stuck in a hospital bed in less than a week. And after that shock subsided, I then started to feel a bit of despair, a bit of frustration. Because I was like, I, I, I'd looked after myself. I'm 29, I'm young, I'm relatively healthy. And all of a sudden this and no understanding of why it's happened, no, you know, no reason, no real warning. It's just come yeah. like that. And then it kind of, after that started to dissipate, it was then a grief, really. I started yeah. to gr- grieve a bit for my, for my mobility, for my physicality, for the fact that, you know, when you're a young man, you almost identify, you know, someone who, who, who's active. You know, I, I can run about with my children. I, I can, I can, I'm independent. I can go and play team sports. I can go and see my friends whenever I want. And I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to extrapolate in the future, given... It currently, I'm not. I'm not going anywhere. I can't. I can't go. I can't show myself. I can't feed myself properly. Like I can't do these basic things. And yeah. in so many ways, that was. It was a really difficult time. My wife was six months pregnant, and she was still working. So she was coming after work to help me shower. And yeah, all of a sudden, I had people really, really stepping up to help me. And in that initial phase where you're just processing those negative emotions. Yeah. You're almost a bit enclosed and switched off from everything that's going on. It doesn't help that the painkillers t- put you on another planet anyway. Um, yeah, I thought that when you said tramadol. <laughs> My nursing yeah. background was like, are they still using that? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, obviously, <laughs> back in, uh, on, on reflection, people were literally saying, weren't you when we came to visit you? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it got into the second week and I'd let these negative emotions go and I just, I knew in a similar way to my own experiences at university that as I'd researched it more and more and began to understand myself more and more that, you know, we as humans, we have a massive range of emotions all the way along the spectrum from the deepest despair to the blazing joy. You've got to process and let those emotions go. And if you don't, you bottle them up, you're leading yourself down a path of psychological, you know, injury down the line. Um, I was kind of like, ultimately, let it go, let it be. But there's got to be a point where you then say, right, look into the future. How am I going to recover? And that came in the second week. So in a lot of ways, you get a lot of time to reflect when you can't move. (laughs) Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, you're inside your own mind quite a lot. And just one day I'd I'd been moved up onto a more, a more personal ward. um, And something just floated into my head. And that was kind of like my moment of recovery, my like awakening. And what actually floated into my head was, you've been on this planet 29 years, you've never once been grateful for being able to walk. Wow. And it just... That is an awakening to get that. Yeah. Yeah. And it just clicked. And then I was like, okay. So it started to expand and I was like, got these people now looking after you, helping you, coming every day, you know, taking their time to come and care for you to help you do the basic things that you can't do for yourself. How grateful have you been to those people? Not as grateful as I should have been. And then it kind of expanded out even further. And I was like, okay, so I could very easily be an orphan on the other side of the world, but I'm not. I grew up in the UK. I've never been homeless. I've never been hungry. I've had free education, free healthcare, freedom to set up a business, opportunities around every corner to work in different industries, to do different things to explore the world 
like, who am I to lie here and be grumpy and sad about it? I'm going to go and attack this disease just like it's attacking me. I'm going to take ownership over my recovery. I'm going to be proactive and see what I can do to get to the point where I'm back up on my feet as quickly as I can. And I got discharged from hospital and had to adapt a lot of things at home. Not long after that, I went into walking rehab and then my daughter was born. And it was a really big thing for me to anchor into because I just knew that it wouldn't be long before she was walking. Yeah. And I couldn't walk at the moment. So I was going to go on a journey with her. And by oh. the time that she was walking, I was going to be walking as well. And every day I thought about me running around the garden with my children. And I just knew that if I was consistent with my recovery, if I was accountable to myself, if I got up in the morning in pain, stiff, sore, if I did my exercises, it wouldn't really matter how I felt. Because I feel good by the time I went to sleep, knowing that I'd done everything I could to aid my recovery and to get that bit closer to being on my feet. So I kind of flipped the old, I'm going to do what I feel into, I'm going to do what I want to become. And the feelings will come at the end. The feelings will be good because I'm aligned and doing the actions that are fulfilling what I want to become. So for me, that was really powerful. And I was proactive. I really pushed on. Um, and I kind of almost decided that by taking this approach, you can suffering becomes a choice after the initial shock and the initial emotions. When everything settles, you continue to resist the pain. You extend and prolong your suffering. And then that stops you from getting into that more positive mindset, that more positive frame to start recovering and pushing yourself that bit further. And I'd kind of realized that as I was, you know, going through intensive physio with other people who you'd see in the waiting room all the time. Yeah. Some people with a heads up, ready to go, others with the heads down, still feeling like, you know, this has happened to me and it's not really very fair. And you actually saw the recovery of the people who were ready to go and recover was a lot better. And I yeah. was one of them. And I knew that this is like, this is, this is interesting to look at it from a psychological perspective because in so many ways, our minds and how we view things really help with recovery, how we kind of view stress and how we view pain affects how it affects us both psychologically and physiologically. So yeah. for me, a massive part of it was, you know, looking, being positive and making sure that I was doing everything that I could. After six months, I managed to get back up on my feet. I had a bit of a setback because my lower lumbar vertebrae was starting to compact together because my gait wasn't right. So probably pushed it a little bit too far in some ways, um, just a bit too, a bit too far too quickly. Um, and again, because I had that proactive mindset, the, the setback wasn't a setback. It was just another little bit of data to keep experimenting forward. And I kind of took that and went back into physio and corrected my gait and then really pushed on again from there to the point where after 11 months, I walked a mile unaided. And at that point, I kind of stood by that lamppost, exhausted but <laughs> triumphant because I was yeah. back on my feet. I could walk again. And if I could do that, what else could I do? I suddenly felt like the potential was unknowable and I could go and do great things. I could 
if I could bounce back from that, what else could I bounce back from? And in so many ways, it was really powerful because then my daughter started walking a few weeks later and everything kind of fell into place for me to think, well, okay, so in so many ways, I'm ready to take my qualifications, take my industrial knowledge and take my lived experience and start to look how I can help other people. I love that. You reminded me of some ladies that bought my book last year. They bought it before they went into hospital for both had surgery and it's called Positive Change and Self-Kick Book. And it just has tools in it and things like that. And they used it and they defied like the guidelines that the surgeons give you. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to do this for six months, this for six weeks. And they absolutely did it within days, within weeks, because they said it was just your book, and my slightly warped humour, if I'm honestly, um, <laughs> just like really helped. And it is mindset. And my background is like, trust me, I'm a nurse. Um, and so, you know, I knew what I was on about, about the mindset because I used to sort of do everything I could medically for someone, give them all the medicine in the world. But spiritually, as you said earlier, about some had their heads up, determined to do it. Some had their heads down thinking that it's going to defeat me. And it is, isn't it? The human spirit is kind of more powerful than the medicine that we can often give you. Oh, definitely. And, and I kind of think, I'm sure you'll be aware as well from a healthcare perspective, depending on how things are communicated to you, impact your recovery massively yeah so again if you have you know consultants nurses practitioners around you who are saying i think you're going to do i think you're going to do you do okay you know that but the positive positive language gets people feeling that they can yeah. whereas language that's limiting start people put false ceilings on the recovery people start to put boundaries on what they can do and there's that kind of halfway place between someone who's, you know, just seriously injured themselves, shouldn't be trying to walk on, an, on you know, on a broken leg without support. Good advice. <laughs> and it's like, I, I equate that to telling your toddler not to, not to touch the toilet seat. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play with the toilet seat. And, you know, you get that. But then at the same time, when they want to, you know, go and explore the garden, you don't put limits on and say, you know what, you can only play on these two flags. <laughs> no. And it's, like, it's, it's that same kind of thing. You've got to give people the opportunity to go and recover at their own rate without setting these, you know, what can be onerous limits or using language that makes people feel that, you know, they're not going to recover for this long because that's, you know, your experience. Yeah. And you can actually propel people by the language that you use in a healthcare setting. And I think that quite often the, the technical aspects are taught and very much monitored, but the communication isn't in the same way. And in some ways that's just as important to people's overall health outcomes and recovery. Yeah, it truly is. And my background was like chemotherapy nursing and end of life. And it's the same with grief that they say to you, like, you know, when you go through grief, you never get over it. And, you know, it could break down your relationships. And you're like, actually, like 95% of people do really, really well after grief. But we're told that it's a negative thing and it's going to change your life. It will change your life. But, you know, like you had an awakening when you had your like loss of health, your loss of certainty at university. And there can be positives in everything, whether it's loss of health, loss of a loved one. But it's how we're told by, you know, the experts or professionals. And we hang on to their words, don't we? Rather than go with like our inner knowing or, you know, our own personality. Yeah. And that intuition is really powerful. But we as a species, we, we do 
take on board what the expert says yeah. with with a, with a you know a level of amplified aptitude because we honestly believe that they must know because they're qualified to be in this position and so often that leads people not to actually listen to their own intuition inside yeah. and yet that is the intuition that's kept us alive as a species all these years it's never really far wrong and the more you have acuity to listening to yourself the better understanding you get of these situations and that's something that you do need to practice but they don't really teach you yeah. No one really teaches you to ask powerful questions of yourself or actively listen to others. I mean, in a lot of ways, education is about going, finding a solution, an answer, putting it on some paper, and then handing it in and moving on to the next phase of your life. Yeah. But the truth is, in, in the modern world, Google will find you an answer. <laughs> You've got to practice asking yourself the powerful questions because that's how you unlock the you know your greater self-awareness that's how you start to move you closer towards your potential the question that helps you become more accountable to your own goals and it's what helps you chisel your character and really express your authenticity and bring the best of you forward yeah it's like you said earlier as well like you said you took ownership of what was happening and we are do you know what I mean we could blame anyone from our past or you know anyone but when we take it on say actually what I've learned from that is actually I forgive myself for that actually there's a lesson it's more powerful isn't it oh definitely and again as from a societal perspective people tend to look at failure negatively tend to have a elements of fear around it they tend to attach yeah. emotion to it and almost feel that they failed but every time you go out there and you step outside your comfort zone and you fail it's not you who's failed. It's the process. It's the example. It's like an experiment. Like I tell my clients so often, just just put a lab coat on. You're back in science at school and (laughs) you've put too many chemicals in and it's all gone wrong. You know what? Step back a second. Don't be sad. Don't feel angry or negative about it because you won't start another experiment. But let's just take a second to look at that previous one and see so the ingredients weren't right almost think about it like you were baking a cake yeah and you decided to rush it a little bit and not look at the timings or look at the weights or the measures it's, it's all great data you'll be able to take some lessons about what not to do in the future you're actually able to get some data about what was really good about that because every time you fail there's something there that's actually quite good yeah. and in every failure there's just a little bit of treasure something that is really, really powerful and that you can take forth in the future and kind of almost frame it how an oyster, most oysters just live a life and get eaten. <laughs> the ones who get attacked, parasite really irritates them, really challenges them, pushes them way beyond their own comfort zone. They're the oysters that create pearls. So in that uncertainty, in that discomfort, in that challenge, that's where a little bit of treasure comes. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. So you're my kind of man because you are obviously of a positive mindset and you've come through like the university mental health and the illness redundancy and things like that. So are there specific tools or techniques that you use to do this with either yourself or with your clients? Are there actual go-to tools that you have to create positive changes? Yeah. So a lot of it surrounds helping people to kind of expand a little bit and start to be able to, you know, become more self-aware so a lot of it's around firstly 
helping people get more clarity on who they are because it's so much easier to be positive when you're aligned to the missions that you want to undertake the underlying purpose that you feel is you and you have the ability to express yourself and i so often find that people spend a lot of time again when we come into come into the world we're a baby we have a few evolutionary mechanisms to ensure that we you know we stay alive but we don't have all this baggage no. <laughs> we don't have a backpack <laughs> on our back of beliefs and vision and that, you know that that self-image that identity shaped over years and years of absorbing data from people from society yeah. from, you know from education from everything around you and again so much of it is it kind of sticks to us like velcro and a lot of the positivity slips off us like teflon and it's that negative bias that we have as a species that kept us alive that leads us to quite often stick uh, stick all over ourselves all sorts of negative limiting beliefs all sorts of beliefs about ourselves and the world that don't necessarily hang true things yeah. that hold us back we, we hold on to habits and things that we believe you know it's part of us when actually we can we've, we're so neuroplastic we can change very very quickly and sometimes it only only takes very small changes to make a real big difference but i find that people when they start to anchor into who they are and start to remove some of the feelings around themselves and become more accepting and aware then they find it much easier to commit to making positive changes yeah and some of the other things that i look at with my clients as well is start to look at you know the physiology so your exercise your nutrition your sleep because all these things have a massive impact on your psychological state your frame of mind your mood your emotional regulation and again they, they affect all the hormonal pr processes that quite often lead us into places where we start to feel like we're out of control yeah. so by optimizing our sleep ensuring that our diets are nutritious and in many ways tailored to us, our own epigenetic expression, our own microbiome, starting to actually experiment with these things to find out what works for our body. Our body is an amazing feedback system. You eat something and you don't feel good a little while afterwards. It's because something in there doesn't really work well with your body. And it's telling you that. But we're all become so detuned from listening to ourselves we just tend to live on autopilot most of the time and just so often look to you know scientists and people and gurus and all sorts for for advice and really all we need is already inside of us we just need to treat ourselves as a little bit of an experiment and start to find out exactly what works and it's the same with sleep we all have our own biorhythm we all have our own environmental need when it comes to sleep and you start to experiment a little bit with it and start to understand what works for you, what hinders you, and start to look at look to make small changes in all of these areas because they compound very quickly. And yeah, you don't see immediate impacts. You don't suddenly become five stone lighter. But what you do start to get is a little bit more energy day after day after day. And that again gives you that positive momentum. Because there's nothing like feeling vitalized in the morning, knowing that you're going doing something that's purposeful. 
that's you. That's your mission. And if you can get that awareness, that acceptance, a commitment to chase what you are here to do and more energy to head in that direction, you then have a lot of reason and a lot of why to start to look at the things that are holding you back, the limiting beliefs. You have more reason to start to look and understand why you have the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, the behaviors that you do. You can get all three of those areas really working well for you then you're in a you're in you're in a place where really you're going to push on and achieve start to reach your potential you're going to feel happier on a day-to-day basis and have you know a different expression of what a lot of these you know positive things are you start to see more to be grateful for you start to be more mindful in your everyday tasks and suddenly you're just more connected with yourself you're more connected with other people you're more connected of the world yeah I love that because I often say well not often people say you always say it Shelley but I always say it's like creating the small changes because it has a ripple effect and before you know it, you've made great changes in your life so I love that so you're saying to look at like sleep nutrition the movement mindset and the habits and I love that just going back to the backpack thing where we take on other people's beliefs and things like that which we do um do you have any affirmations or sayings that you do for a positive self-talk you've got um, clients like that yeah so i mean one i quite often use is around connection not perfection nice <laughs> so again in a society we, we a lot of people are starting to become they want to get it exactly right you know i don't want anyone to misconstrue what i'm saying you know I, sometimes i'm not even going to say anything and sometimes i'm going to be talking to myself in my head using that negative self-talk and putting myself down. Yeah. But can you question yourself to just think for a second, what standard am I trying to, you know, what standard am I trying to meet here? And in so many ways, we start to want to be perfect. No human being is perfect. Mm. And perfectionism is the lowest possible standard we can give. Firstly, because it doesn't exist. But secondly, you don't give yourself anywhere to move because it becomes you, both your floor and your ceiling if everything has to be perfect. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're like trapped. So we try and almost work to say, ask yourself, connection, not perfection. You, you connect to yourself and then ask yourself, what, what is it that I'm, is, is what I'm saying actually true? Is it? Is that me? And then a few of the others that we tend to use as well. And I tend to do a lot of stuff around performance anxiety and that kind of thing, where yeah. people's voices are telling them, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't. <laughs> it's all about expression, not impression. So you're not going out there to impress people. You hope the whole world is not about impressing others. It's about expressing your authenticity. Because most of the world will actually be more happy if they see you being you. Yeah. rather than you trying to think what they think you are and then work from that. Because after it's gone through a few different lenses, it's so convoluted that people just get confused. You don't see you. You're trying to see some mask that you're putting up. But yeah. this mask is based off what you think they think you are. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. And it is, I mean, check out episode six, <laughs> the solo shows. Yeah. I call it... Um, speak your truth and yep. it is so true it's not saying it's the truth of the world it's speak your truth and it's just getting out again like we we're saying earlier about you know repressed emotions will cause disease and 
you know, inflammatory responses and that. And it is like, just speak your truth. It doesn't mean it is the truth. It's just your expression of self in this world. You know, your words are valid. So yeah, absolutely. So you've been through so many positive changes and you're helping others. So the people that are listening today, can you tell them why it is important to create the positive changes? Because they're probably sitting there thinking, well, I might try it, might not. <laughs> yeah, well, I think in so many ways, we as a species, we, we overestimate what we can do in a short space of time. We, we massively underestimate who we can become over the longer period. So what I'd say to anyone listening is, just think about who you would want to be in 2030. 10 years feels like a long, long time. But I almost want you to think about that image of you in 2030 and the things that you wish for in life and the person that you wish to become. Look at it as a massive statue. And today I'll just give you the permission to take a sledgehammer, smash it into 3,000 pieces, tiny fragments, things that you can do every day. We're talking things that might only take a minute. And yet, if you take the time to start gluing those fragments together, in 10 years, you will be that statue. You will be who you want to become, the authentic you, the person that you wish to grow into and develop into. And again, it's the tiniest small changes that compound to make the biggest difference. And we live in a world where we always have to believe that there's some system that makes it easier. There's some shortcut that makes it simple. Well, it is quite easy and quite simple if we just see it in that, in that frame of mind. We don't need to search for simplicity. It's right there for you. The tiniest changes over time. And again, start to think, oh, it's a long way away. Oh, I don't know. Think about who you were in 2010 and who you are today. Almost everyone will have changed significantly. Your personality, the way you see the world, the person who you are in 10 years is a very, very long and ample period for you to start to reach your potential, to set off on that mountain, that journey. And you can get to the peak of where you want to be. And it's just about realising that. It is a journey that's going to be enjoyable. There are going to be days when the wind's blowing quite a lot. It's going to be days when you're looking at a rocky cliff face thinking, this is a bit of an obstacle. <laughs> and yet, how you see the world, there is, there, where there's a will, there's a way. And we all have a real strong power of why inside of us. Sometimes it's just finding that. And there are going to be the days where you get blown off the mountain altogether. All <laughs> but you can get you can dust yourself get back up we all face challenges and if you start to accept that life is like an ecg up and down up and down up and down up and down never linear never flat it's constantly up a mountain down a trench up a mountain down a trench but if you can be aware of that accept it and commit to look up when you're in the trenches at the mountain you're going to climb up next you'll be well prepared to do it. And that uncomfort and uncertainty is what makes us grow. Because if that ECG was a flat line, we'd be dead. I love how you did that. So when you put like 10 years forward, I was thinking, oh my God, how wrinkly am I going to be? 
you know, how many books would I've written by then? But when you say go back 10 years to 2010, that's when we had our second child, but our first daughter. And I'm like, oh my God, I sort of like took a career break from nursing. My book wasn't even something I thought of. So it's really powerful to go back. And then you think, oh, when you look back, you realize how far you've come. So that's absolutely brilliant. So you've given us so much great advice from like, you know, I picked up on gratitude and, you know, the movement, the nutrition, the sleep. I'm, I'm not very good at sleep. I'm going to, you know, work on that myself. Um, <laughs> so, so much great advice, Lee, but what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, this is quite, uh, sometimes when I pull this out of the bag, it's quite controversial. Great. But, My kind uh, of guy. <laughs> yes. So the best piece of advice I was given was, was by someone who was mentoring me in the early days of my business and what you said were these simple four words but these have really changed my worldview and it's really really good advice and it simply is don't take advice and don't conform wow <laughs> that's what you said and i've come to realize that there's way too much advice out there and too little encouragement yeah and advice is not often empowering has to be delivered in a very you know intentioned way to empower someone otherwise it's just telling people and not giving them and empowering them with the tools and the skills and the and the proactivity to go and become more themselves and again everyone has the answers inside of them yeah. just helping them find ways to get them out and conforming to society it kills most people's authentic expression because all of a sudden you're trying to be someone else shaping yourself around some belief that you have or an expectation, which so often, sadly, in the modern world, no one really cares. <laughs> Everyone's too busy looking at their own form, worrying about themselves. <laughs> Oh, I absolutely love it. You've been an absolute delight, Lee. So you've got your website. People can get you at Essentialize. Where else yep. can people reach you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram at Essentialize Coach. And I've got a personal website, which is leechambers.org. So I've got all those details. So I'll put those in the show notes. But thank you so much. I've absolutely loved it. I love your non-conforming. So thank you, Lee Chambers, for joining us today. It's a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelly F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>